Welcome to Waterbrook Church, located in Victoria, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us today as we worship and fellowship together. To find out more about Waterbrook, go to www.waterbrook.church. And I invite all of you to take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 10. Genesis 10. So in Genesis 10, this is a genealogy, and uh, you know, I, I thank God for the privilege of just saturating myself in the Word week after week, and um, you know, the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and it is able to pierce, and it is able to uh, reveal, and it is able to empower And uh, Genesis 10 on first reading, you know, you you ever have these texts of Scripture, you read your way through it and go, okay. And then you read it through, and by the grace of God and the Holy Spirit, you go, well, I go, holy cow. That's probably not appropriate, but you, you make your way through and you just go, the Word of God is stunning in its power, its relevance, and its helpfulness. And so I'm hoping, I'm going to read a bit of Genesis 10 with you, and uh, I am hoping that maybe for some of you it'll go from fog to force by the power of the Holy Spirit, that it would go from perplexity to power as we um, just think through this word. So Genesis 10, remember we have finished with the flood and Noah, and now we have the, the, the command of God to Noah's family to go and be fruitful and fill the earth. And so the question is, how do you take one family and do that? And then we have a description of exactly how that began to transpire. And so Genesis chapter 10, this is the word of the Lord. These are the generations of the son of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, sons who were born to them after the flood. So you get the context. It's what he's setting up for us. This is what happened after the flood. The sons of Japheth were Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tyrus. The sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, Riphath, and Targamah. I'll just stop here and say, I was going to ask somebody to read scripture for me this morning, and then I thought, mm, I probably shouldn't. Um, <laughs> uh, the sons of Javan, Elisha, um, Tarshish, Kittim, and Dodanim. From these, the coastland peoples spread in their lands each with his own language by their clans in their nations. I'll just pause there and say, we'll see in Genesis 11 part of the story of how that happened, because they spoke all one language, right, initially. But then it says in verse 6, the sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan, the sons of Cush, Seba, Havilah, Septa, Ramah, and Septica. Do you already notice that some of the names here are places and cities? And so they become places... Um, that are named after these folks. The sons of Rama, Sheba, and Dadan. Cush fathered Nimrod. He was the first on earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. The Lord said, it, therefore it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Akkad, and Kalna in the land of Shinar. And that's uh, Iraq, uh, if you want to know geographically out that way. From that land he went into Assyria and built Nineveh, Rehoboth, Ir, Kala, and Rezin between Nineveh and Kala. That is the great city. Egypt fathered Ludim, Anamim, Lahabim, Neftuhim, Pasherusim, Kausuhim, from whom the Philistines came, and Kaphtorim. Okay, I'm going to stop there and uh, just jump down to verse 20. 
the son, these are the sons of Ham by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. Then let me jump down to verse 32. These are the clans of the sons of Noah according to their genealogies in their nations, and from these the nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. So if you look at the section of chapter 10, verse 1, down to the end of the chapter, we are getting a description in this passage of Scripture of how the, uh, pop, the, the earth was repopulated and how um, the uh, earth was filled with humanity and the nations and how they went out according to their clans and their languages. And as you read that, you think, okay, what's the application here? But can I just take you back and remind you why Genesis 10 is in the Bible and why we've been studying this section of Scripture? Genesis, this first section, leads up to the promise in the covenant that God makes with Abraham, that Abraham and through Abraham, who would be blessed? All the nations of the earth. And so the trajectory of God is to all peoples. That's God's agenda. And when we read Genesis, who wrote Genesis? Moses. And Moses writes the first five books that we have in the scripture because what is happening to the nation of Israel? They are wandering, but they are now sent into the promised land. And so they are being sent out to, sent in to face the very foes that they were afraid of the first time around. And they spent, you know, all those years wandering in the wilderness till a generation died off because they did not have the courage and they did not have the commitment to God to follow on the call of God to go in and take the land. Now the Bible begins with Genesis uh, and, the, and, the, and the books of Moses, because the narrative of the whole of the Bible, which Laurel, thank you, you did a superb job giving a narrative of the grand story of redemption and the hope of the gospel. In the grand panorama, the purpose of God is the book of Revelation, right? So the Bible begins with the hope of the promise, the purpose of God of filling the whole earth with his glory. That's his agenda. And that one day, when we get to the book of Revelation, at the climatic moment, who will be before the throne of God? All the nations, every tribe, every tongue, and every people. And the Bible is written as a revelation of the mission of God. That you don't come to the Bible and read it as people trying just to survive. As individuals who are heroes, who have done remarkable things, so that we might look at them and say, if we only had enough power, if we only had enough courage, if we had a, only had enough stamina, we could do what they do. You know what we need? We do not need their personal power, their characteristics, whatever they may be of courage. We need their God. It's God's mission that we're joining, and God will build his church, Jesus said. Jesus, going to the cross, has clear in his mind the indefeatable purpose of God. And we read the Bible in Genesis 10, where we are today, and the hero of the story is God. The purpose of God, he calls them to be fruitful and multiply, but he causes them to be fruitful and multiply. Got that? God calls them, but he causes them. I mean, we'll, we'll see in chapter 11, they, if it was left to us, we'd shut the whole mission down, right? We'll talk about that a little bit more. The tendency for us is what? Not to go out of our comfort zone. 
not to move on beyond the little circle that we have of our own familiarity. And so the call of being a disciple is to what? Go into all nations, all the world, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. So if you teach people to observe all that I commanded you, what will you teach them? Right. And at the end of Matthew, you will teach them, go into all the world and make disciples. Same song, second verse, a little bit louder and a little bit better. Right? That's what we're called to do. We make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples of all nations. And so when we come to Genesis chapter 10, we have to see the hand of God. How God takes Noah, and and, you know, we already seen, it's messy, right? Here's Noah drunk and his son sinning and the curse upon on, on the Canaan and all of that happens. You think, man, left to ourselves, what will we do? Left to ourselves. But we are never left to ourselves. Jesus gives that command, right? Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Does it stop there? What's the next line? And lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is my mission. This is my power. And this is my plan. Let's go. Let's go. So that's how the Bible reads. Got it? That's how the Bible reads. So let me talk you through Genesis chapter 10 and do a little highlights. But here's what my first point I just want to reiterate. I got that little C.S. Lewis quote from the Chronicles of Narnia. You get a lot of C.S. Lewis here. One of my favorite lines is that line when, uh, I think it's Mr. Beaver who says this, I think it's that scene where they say, they say Aslan is on the move and perhaps he's already landed. If any of you have seen that, um, there's a glorious scene when Aslan moves along, winter melts away, and the flowers begin to bloom. You you realize that Sunday after Sunday, God just changes nature for my sermon? I mean, how many of us get, I don't know what's going to get today, but how many times do we get 62 in the first week of March? The only reason it's 62 today is for my sermon. (laughs) Aslan is on the move, folks. And when Aslan moves, it doesn't matter if it's Islam, it doesn't matter if it's Al-Shabaab, it doesn't matter whether or not it is American narcissism, it doesn't matter what we're up against because it is God who is on the move. And it's God who's got the mission. So let's look at this sentence that will explain Genesis 10. Get Colton, he's got his first day on the job back there. So, brother, it's just the next one. (laughs) There you go. Brother, thank you. When we consider how the sons of Noah fulfilled the call of God to be fruitful and to multiply and fill the earth, we are meant to see a picture of how God would fill the earth with his glory through the church. That's what Genesis 10 is ultimately about. God is going to do this. And so let me give you, um, this, this is uh, Piper's book on Let the Nations Be Glad, but um, the next uh, slide here reads this. God is pursuing with omnipotent passion a worldwide purpose of gathering joyful worshipers for himself from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Isn't that great? I mean, I just, I just love that. I weep over that. If you ever get a taste of this, you just weep to be amongst all the nations 
having their knee bowed before Christ. He has an inexhaustible enthusiasm for the supremacy of his name among the nations. Just stop and meditate on that. Isn't it good that God doesn't give up? Isn't it good that God isn't half-hearted? Isn't it good that God in himself does not pause and, and say, man, I'm on a down day with this whole plan. When we're on a down day, he's never on a down day. When we see darkness, he is doing light. He is. And, and often we're parochial, man, if you could see what's going on. Can you believe that one of the fastest growing nations for, for the gospel in the world is the country of Iran? Those of us who are old enough have watched the gospel sweep across communist China. And why is that? It's that reason God has an inexhaustible enthusiasm for the supremacy of his name among the nations. Therefore, let us bring our affections, got that? Into line with his, and for the sake of his name, let's renounce the quest for worldly comfort and join his global purpose. That's a great line. Because what's our greatest threat? Our greatest threat is to try to find comfort in this world. How does that go for us? Just watch the news in two months in America. Just watch one week global fear sweep, right? I mean, one day we're all thinking, yeah, let's think about the future. The next day we're thinking, is any of our pensions going to be left, right? We're all looking at this. And my dear friends, God is Aslan's on the move. What's happening globally is not the thwarting of the sovereign purpose of God. Let's just stop. It's not our earthly comfort. It's our heavenly confidence that is driving our lives. So let's, let's remind each other Sunday after Sunday, this is not about earthly comfort. we got comfort coming. Our earthly comfort is a person. It's not a possession. It's not a neighborhood. Our earthly comfort is Jesus Christ who reigns at the right hand of the Father and returns in glory. And he is building his church. So that, that's where we're going. So here's what I want you to see in the text here. The first thing in this text is um, the, do- excuse me, the doctrine of God's providence. And you need to know this, but you need to know it more than simply and a theological construct about the nature of God. You need to know it about the nature of God, but you need to know it as a functional reality of your faith. And the functional reality of your faith is that God naturally moves through relationships that seem natural to us, but are supernatural in fact. Do you understand what I'm saying there? So in Genesis chapter 10, there's a phrase that's repeated. It's it's said at the beginning, it's said at the middle, and it's said at the end. So it's the theme. How did the earth fill after Noah? And their families multiplied, and then they filled the earth according to what? Geography, families, language, and nations. Now, that's the starting point. That's what I'm going to say is basic. So if you look at verse 5, under the sons of Japheth and Gomer and Javan, we have this statement in Genesis 10, 5, from these the coastland peoples, what? Spread. But they spread how? In their lands, each with his own language, by their clans, 
and in their nations. And if you meditate on that, what have you got? You've got geography, you've got clans, families, and you'll see this especially in, um, later in, the, you know, in Moses' writings that um, Israel advanced according to their tribal units that were established, how? By themselves? Not just by themselves. They all knew that this was of the Lord. So language and nation. So that's it. So the ideal scenario, first of all, this I'm going to say, for the spread of the gospel is to see that people come to faith who will then turn and reach out, share Christ, and plant churches among their own peoples. Okay, I want you to think about that for a little second. I'll give you another verse. I, I don't know, Colton, if you can get the, if I got the Acts verse there, yeah. Acts 17, Paul's preaching in, in Athens, and as he's preaching in Athens, he makes a statement about what God is doing and why they should repent. And he says, and he made one man from every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. That's his summary statement of God's activity amongst human beings. Having done what? determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should do what? Seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find them, yet he is actually not far from any one of us. What is he saying about where you live and what time in history you live? Right. It's not just because great-grandma and great-grandpa decided that they were going to leave the shores of Holland it's not just because your family were taken captive in Eastern Africa. It's not simply the injustices that have moved populations around. I mean, all of human beings have been making decisions, reproducing and changing. You know when you look at all of that? But God has never been off the throne. Saving and redeeming, he is greater than all that caused it. The best thoughts of men and the worst actions of humanity have all been under God. And what you and I are meant to read in Genesis 10, because he repeats it down in verse 20. These are the sons of Ham by their clans, their language, their, their lands, and their nations. Down verse 31, these are the sons of Sham, Shem by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. Down at verse 32, these are the clans and sons of Noah, categorically, according to their genealogies and their nations and from their nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. Just pause and think about that. This is presented to us that providence is God working supernaturally in the normal and the natural. Even in, we'll see in the book of Genesis with Joseph, even in the evil and the unjust, even at the cross. Was the cross not great injustice, the greatest injustice ever? And yet God would not be defeated. And so here's what you and I are meant to see out of this. I want to point out a couple of things in this passage of Scripture. Number one, when you and I think about mission and being engaged in the mission of God, you are not where you are accidentally. So sometimes young people, they go through this um, existential angst. Why was I born where I was born? Why was I put under the, in the family I was put in? And I will tell you two reasons, according to Acts and according to this. The first reason is this, so that you would seek God. Every family has been, in some way, a failure. Fallen. 
Every family has felt the taint of sin. And you were placed there so that you would not find your hope there. Even though, what do we do? We keep trying to find our way back to the Garden of Eden in our homes and in our communities, finding that secure place. And what do we find? We find that there is no place called home. Because we were made for another place. And we were made for another family, another person. And so he has placed us where we are, number one, that we would seek God. And then when we find God in the midst and we cry out and find him, that we would speak God. Understand what's going on? The, the starting point, the natural kind of place that you find yourself is supernaturally ordained by God, providentially orchestrated by God, because you have connections that the person sitting beside you this morning does not have. And you have a people group, a language group, right? You have a family, a clan, you got a history, you got all those things. You have geography. Why was I born here? Why am I here now? How did I get here? The starting point of this is you have been born and saved and placed by a sovereign and a gracious God to be a salt and a light in a city on a hill. That's why you've been placed there. And so you and I need to be looking around. So I make this a conscious effort. My family knows this. My starting point for evangelism is my family. I have lines of, of connectedness. I have family all over the place. And I regularly am ministering the gospel to my family. They're not here, but thank God we live with the technology. I am face-to-face. I'm texting with my sister, Kath, sister-in-law, Kathy, as she's battling cancer. I am texting my uncles in Toronto and, 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 and sharing verses of Scripture. And over the last couple of years, they have all responded to me after years. I, have, I, am, I am praying over my nephews and nieces and my siblings. And so you guys and I all have to stop and ask the question, you know, if we look at these things, geography, language, family, and nations, the way you need to look at it in some senses is where's my education? That's one of the places. Where is my school that I'm going to? Any of you young people who say to me, I hate the school I'm going to. One of the reasons you hate the school you're going to, if you say that, It's because that school desperately needs Jesus. They need Jesus there, right? And so you got to pray, bring Jesus to school somehow. When you hear that teacher, you go, bring Jesus to that teacher. Teachers come to Jesus through their students, praying and standing. And when you go into work, you think, man, this job, how long am I going to have to do this job? Thought I would retire last year, now it's an eternity. If you're not out of there, you are in there by the providence of God. It may be one person, it may be a long presence, but you have to understand that the gospel advances under the normal, normal providences of God. And so everyone's on mission. We're really we wrestle here at Waterbrook to not be a church that has overburdened its people with programs. And we have to weigh out what we do, how much we're going to do, because we don't want you doing it all here. We want you to be discipled and equipped, and our, our, what we've been doing the last little while is trying to teach you how to talk Jesus. 
because you're going to go from this moment on into corners where I will not see and the people around you will not see and you'll be shoulder to shoulder with people who desperately need Jesus. Anybody live where somebody needs desperately to need Jesus? It's only a few of us, right? Okay, I expected every hand to go up, but I know some of you are introverted and not extroverted. Can I, can I just add a couple of, of thoughts here uh, initially? Um, so in Southern California, there's a church um, called, I think it's Desert Heights Church. Tom Mercer's the pastor. And so they, a few years ago, they were 150. Now they're like 12,000. I don't know how you do 12,000 church. I don't really care about 12,000 church. In fact, I don't. Anyway, I'm not going to talk about that. But here, here's... Here's, one, here's the simple strategy um, that they had, they decided to do for their church. They had their church write down the 8 to 15 people that were within the circle of their lives. They had everybody in the church, and they said, you have, they called it, they used the biblical term from the New Testament, oikos, which was household. Do you remember when the gospel advanced? How did it advance? The Philippian jailer was converted, he and his Right, his household, his Icos, right? They came. And the Icos was not just his own biological family. It was the people that came to work. It was the people in his neighborhood, all that kind of stuff. And so, so what happened was that, that everybody who came to faith in Christ automatically had a circle of people who needed to come to faith in Christ. And so what they did is they said to the people in their church, we want you to actually write down the 8 to 15 people that you every day interact with who are directly connected with you and start praying for them to encounter Jesus through you. I think that's a great idea. I don't think that's the whole of the biblical theology of evangelism. It certainly isn't, but it's a starting point because what's the starting point there? It tells that every one of us have been sovereignly placed by God so that the nations would come to Jesus. And if you don't start with your neighbors, you're not going to go to the nations. So, so I have a little sheet of paper there that we give sermon notes on. And you, can do, you, you can check out on me right now if you want. You can check out. But I want you to do that if you would. If the Holy Spirit's prompting you to do that, I want you to begin to write down the 8 to 15 people. Put that in place. Begin to pray that God would give you the insight and the wisdom and the opportunity to share and show Jesus. Wisdom to do that. Would you do that? Let's begin to do that. Um, as you can see, we already have space trouble because we're just a little cabin in the woods here. Right? So, for now. <laughs> but let me tell you this. Our goal is not a big church. Our goal is the nations bowing before the throne. In the king, before the king of kings when he returns again. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And you and I, some of you are going right downtown. Right? And some of you are hicks in the sticks. And you gotta, you got, and isn't that the beauty of the church? Right? And some of you speak different languages. So some of you are Korean. Some of you are Hispanic. Some are French. Right? We have different languages here. Go talk to your people. Some of you have family that are lost in deep darkness. And, and if we can help, if we can partner, if we can pray, let's get on the mission. You understand what's going on here? That's what's being taught. This is kind of the providential reality. And I want to say this, and I got a couple of quotes here that I think are helpful. Um, one of them is from Erwin Lutzer. Some of you know Erwin. He pastored at Moody Church forever. And... Uh, 
I like him simply because he's a Canadian. But, I mean, yeah, he was um, there forever in Chicago, Mennonite guy, uh, originally. And it said, let me encourage you to take those if-onlys and draw a circle around them. Because the providence of God, do I have that? Oh, I actually do have that up there. Then label the circle the providence of God. The Christian believes that God is greater than our only if-onlys. Don't spend all your time thinking if my life had only gone differently then I could do something for God. My dear friends, the if-onlys are still under God. His providential hand encompasses the whole of our lives, not just the good days, but the bad days too. We have the, we have the word accident in our vocabulary. God does not. So we have somebody in downtown in the hospital, right, Lynette? And he was there not too long ago, and you're just saying, why are we doing this circle? I can't answer all that, but I do know you've gone in there in the presence and the name and the power of Jesus. Amen. Right? So let's keep that in our hearts and our minds, the if-onlys. We can take the if-onlys and put them under the, the plan and the power of God. Okay. So here, I, well, let me add one other thing, just quickly. When we do mission strategy to the nations, our goal then is to see someone in another language or group, come to faith in Jesus Christ, and then go after their circle. So that's how our missions. Mike, you want to raise your hand? Mike is um, our new director of missions, and we are clearly committed to seeking that Waterbrook would make a difference to the ends of the earth. And one of the starting points for us is to find um, people who are church planting or called to church planting in their own nations right, and say to them, it, 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 it's financially more resourceful and wise, but it's also what we see the pattern in the Bible is, is that if we can see someone from a people group come to faith in Christ and launch them into that people group, the kingdom of God will be advanced, and he's doing that. He's doing it. Right? And so, Ron, when you're going, that's what do you do? You look for a, you look for a man of peace. You get one guy. You plant one seed in the ground, one, one person who belongs to an ethnic group, you get them on the ground and you launch them, and then you pray over that, you water, and you support them strongly. And that's one of the other things. So we have a few missionaries right here in our church family, and our desire is not just to, not just to launch them, to plant them and to love them and to be, that is our mission. They are, we, their mission is the mission of Waterbrook Church. So that's what we're seeking to do. So that's the starting point for what you do. So that's the first thing. That's the normal providential plan of the mission of God. Number two, God does raise up. Jump down here to the second one there, Colton. It's the people who are uncommon characters. And so if you look at Genesis chapter 10 and verse um, 8, Cush fathered Nimrod. You know, this is, one of, this is one of those names that didn't pick up. You know, a lot of people name, I, you know, I think I met Isaiah, was it, or this morning, I met, I met a couple of biblical name guys. Nobody names their kid Nimrod. <laughs> now, for a while, from my parents, I think, I thought that was my name. <laughs> uh, Nimrod is not one of those names. It came to mean something else, so I do need to do a little biblical correction. Because your idea of Nimrod is not the Bible's idea of Nimrod. But here's what I want you to say. That the normal providence of God is the way the gospel advances. But there are uncommon people of God who are equipped to go into new areas 
that the normal providence wouldn't work. There are unreached peoples. And the, and the forefront of the spread of people at the time of Noah was in part by a hunter. So, Tony, are you glad that there's hunters out there that are used of God? I mean, sorry, I got some hunter buddies here, so... Uncommon characters who lead the charge into new territory, who, who you are is where he is leading. And so I wanted to stop and say that line there, right? Who you are. So first thing I said in the providence is where you are is where God's leading. God's placed you in a family, in a people group, in a language. Nothing's accidental. And who you are is where he is leading. And so some people are uniquely equipped to go where other people can't go and to do what other people can't do. And you remember that kind of interesting thing that in the last chapter, God changed the food requirements for the people? After the flood, before the flood, they could only eat every green thing. After the flood, he said, now you can eat, you know, the clean animal, the the living things. He gave them permission. Why did he do that? Mission. Think of the settling of the West. I mean, other than the slaughter of the bison that took place to go into new territories where farming has not been done, where you don't have land and possession, what do you need? You need to survive. And Nimrod was what? I mean, he's remarkable. He's the very first hunter who's called a mighty hunter, but he's not just called a mighty hunter. He's called a mighty hunter before the Lord. And this is how the gospel advanced at this point in time so let me just make a couple of things one of the things he's under an unlikely lineage which family is he from he's from Noah's family but he's from Ham's family and Ham's family was what he was cursed in the previous chapter he's the one who shamed his father now I love this this gives me hope because God will pick people that you don't expect to go to places and do things that nobody predicts And so God makes it clear, I'm going to call Nimrod from the family of Ham, and I'm going to make him mighty in my hand to do what nobody thought he would do. If you were to pick the family that the next, the great missionary, the advancer of the cause of God to fill all the earth was to take place, it would not be that family. Praise God. Because we're a motley crew of folks, and God did not choose the wise or the powerful, but he chose the foolish to shame the wise. That's what he's done. Uncommon courage. He was the first that says in that text of Scripture to be called a mighty man. In other words, he had the courage and the capacity to go. There are some people where it's built in them to go. Right, Ron? There's just like a go thing in you. And you're just saying like, you know, you get the horses all in there. And there's a lot of people saying, I know I'm called here. And there's some people saying, I know I am not called here. And they are mighty, and they're called, and he, in the, the cause and the advance. And so one of the things the church is called to do in the advancement of the gospel is do everything to help those who have a unique calling, that's the first thing, a new unique gifting, right? Unusual ca- capacity and a unique opportunity. God says, go, and he says, if anybody can go, I can go. I can do this, right? But I can do this because God enabled me. I have the gifts and the skill, but I need the Lord still, Right? So it says he wasn't just a mighty hunter and he went out and filled the earth. He was a mighty hunter where? Before the Lord. He had an undivided loyalty. An undivided loyalty. And so just think about this. Because that, that, doesn't that strike you? He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Now I'm a hunter. I am not a mighty hunter. 
And I'm not sure what the Lord's doing when I'm hunting, but it's not helping me hunt. Right? I am a hunter who gets a tag every year and preserves one animal. Right? That's what I do. <laughs> I am not a mighty hunter. I am a lousy hunter before the Lord. I love to go. But he was a mighty hunter before the Lord, which meant he was living his calling before God. And some people have the resources, whether it is the training, like uh, going into some countries of the world, they're training in engineering. And so I know of people who've gone into the United Arab Emirates with, where an emir has actually flown in a pastor and family and built the church so that the engineers would have a place to worship in the UAE. They've done it. Now, the person wasn't a mighty hunter, he was a mighty engineer. But his engineering was sanctified to the Lord so that he would be on the forefront of the advancement of the gospel to every tribe, tongue, and people. Isn't that great? So you and I need to recognize that in the Scriptures, God... So I don't, I don't know if we should call them Nimrods, but um, we certainly need a lot of Nimrods. We need people who know that they're... My daughter, Lauren, from the get-go was on the go. So 14 years of age, she comes to me and her mom, and she says, can, can my sister and I go to Africa to work with AIDS orphans? And she's 14 years, and she's got that look in her eyes. And we say, what are you thinking? We'll pray. And we go and pray, and then we come back and we say, Yes. And when she graduated, Mary Ann, I know, we bought her a ticket after graduation. She finished teacher's college and, grabbed, and bought her a ticket because she worked at a Christian camp in Southern California. And so we bought her a ticket to go to San Diego for a graduation present. So Mary Ann and I are going to the U.K. And uh, we're driving down. You know, we used to take those trips south to Duluth. So we were coming actually down to the Twin Cities to fly to the UK, and we get to Duluth. Lauren is coming back from San Diego, and so we meet there. She takes a bus up to Duluth. I, we drove separately. We had Marianne's car and my pickup. I give my pickup to Lauren. Lauren drives back up to Thunder Bay. We go to the UK. When we get back to the UK, Lauren's living in Honduras. That's, she was done her holiday, and she was gone. And she said regularly, I'm not coming back. That's what she said. I am not coming back. And I tell you, from 14 years of age, she was not coming back. She was launched. She was called. And she did it for one reason. She loves the nations and she loves Jesus. And she loves it. Just loves it. Just delights in it. She's got the happiest kids on the planet. You know, they t yesterday, Ellie calls me and she's giving me the tour of the yard. You know, and they got barbed wire over the wall, and they got gates and all this kind of stuff. And she's the happiest kid on the planet, wandering around. I'm Fafa, telling me, Fafa, Fafa, let me show you the secret place. Takes me out behind their house, a little quiet spot. She goes, now you have to whisper with me, Fafa. <laughs> I'll say, okay, Ellie, I'll whisper with you. And I would not do anything to call them home. Because we're all on our way home. This ain't home. We're on our way home, so we're launching, we're launching, we're launching. You understand, God, not everybody's called to go, but everybody who goes is going on our behalf, right? And so we've got to hold that up. There's a natural calling in the lines where we're all on mission. There are people who uniquely, and they do it before the Lord, not because of ego, 
I was texting this morning, I was texting this morning with a seminary buddy of mine who is preaching in Bangkok. And I was telling him he should meet up with Marianne's sister and brother because they're in Bangkok right now. And I've been watching him on video. They're preaching in Myanmar and Burma. They're going through him and his wife. And they've been, from when I was in seminary, he would look at me and say, let's go to the nations. I said, let's go to the nations. <laughs> and he's gone to the nations. And I've gone to the nations. It's a joke, you know, I left... <laughs> You are the nations, just so you know, right? Juan Carlos, this is the nations. We've gone to the end. I, well, I went to the comforts of southern climes, you know. But So let, let's just move on to the last thing I want you to see here. There are uncommon characters, and then I think this is really important and apropos now. The last thing I want you to see is there are uncommon problems. There are uncommon problems. Would you look in Genesis chapter 10 to verse 25? To Eber, Genesis 10, 25, to Eber was born two sons. The name of the one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided. Now, I've read up on this. There's all kinds of opinions. I'll tell you my two cents worth really quick. The word Peleg means divided, and... Many of the commentators believe that this is chapter 11 of Genesis. That when they settled down and God frustrated them at Babel, the nation, they were divided into nations. This is when they were divided into nations. And he called his son that because this was the moment. And so sometimes in order to get people from not going, God has to do things to get people going. to get people where they need to be because we'd stay comfortable and we'd closet ourselves off. And I'm not going to go a whole lot into that because we're going to talk about it next week. But can I talk a little bit about coronavirus for a second? Everybody needs to be careful. Everybody needs to be conscious. And everybody needs to be courageous. Right? Not fear. I'm going to do... What I need to do to be wise, I'm going to ask you to do. We're still going to serve food. We're still going to have church. We're still going to pastor. As long as they let us, we're going to do that. But we're going to make sure people serve you your food. You know what we did with communion this morning? We're going to do little things so that, you know, we're not sticking our thumbs in each other's communion cups and then passing things around. We're going to do those things. But we're not doing these things so we're, because we're fearful. We're doing these things because we're not going to stop the mission. We're not going to stop the mission. Whatever it looks like. And sometimes what God does is he stops the whole world. And then he looks at the church and says, okay, step up. Step in. Step forward. Understand what, what happens? Has he done that historically? Right? Some of the greatest, darkest moments is the moment the light began to shine unsettled people and sent them in in a time of fear what is the message of the church hope rock solid hope opportunity to explain the hope that we have within us again we're not boneheaded hope wise as serpents and harmless as doves but some of the great calamities i I am praying, for example, when I see this thing go down in China, that as China has sought to crush 
Christianity the last little while that those who have sought to crush Christianity would lose their credibility and the church would rise up. And there are Christians rising up and doing ministry in Wuhan right now. They are courageously doing that. And so that is what we are praying, dear God. We don't know what tomorrow brings except for we know who holds tomorrow. And we know, dear God, that we are never off mission. And God, you are not sleeping. You didn't sleep when whatever happened, wherever it happened, where the coronavirus started. So if you're on a cruise ship in the middle of somewhere, what do you do? If you're a Christian, you pray for the cruise ship people. You preach to whoever comes in the door. You'll go your little cabin window and go, praise Jesus and help me, Jesus. Right? And sometimes all you're doing is saying, help me, Jesus, but you're looking up. You're not running away. You're standing firm. Isn't that what God does? And so God scatters. We'll see that next week. And here is this guy named Peleg called scattered and divided because this division did not stop God's multiplication. God will not stop building his church. Uh, we'll s- us little people will try to figure out how do you do church? How do you do mission? How do you live in this world? But I'll tell you this, we won't say retreat. We will not say back off. We will not say go silent or go absent. We will step up. We will step in. And we will step forward. In whose name? Jesus' name. Are you up for it? Isn't that great? That's Genesis 10. That's Genesis 10. Isn't the word of God wonderful? My dear friends, there is glorious hope for the people of God. So know the people. Write down the people. I want you to do that right now. I want you to pause. If you've got a sheet there, you want to take it? Now, here's the other thing. I've got on, that, on the back of the note sheet, if anybody here feels the call to go, let us know. And we'll be praying and equipping. That's what, we're, that's what we're about. I believe that Little Waterbrook Church will make a difference to the ends of the earth. I believe it with all my heart. If God is stirring you, and if you're halfway stirred and you need somebody to pray with you, pray. And those of you who are parents, who are paranoid over your kids doing that kind of thing, pray over your heart because this is all mission. And it's no safer here. You know, my daughter Lauren, she said to me, you know, because she lives in this world of guns and all this kind of stuff, and she said to me, Dad, the only difference between here and Tegucigalpa and when I was living back in Canada was, back in Canada, I never prayed when I went out, but I should have. Now I think about it every time I go out. Right? The safest place in the world is inside the will of Jesus. It's the only safe place. And it's the safest place in the world. Isn't that good news? Okay, why don't we spend a little bit of time praying. And uh, I'll get the ushers to get ready for the morning offering and the worship team to come. But let's just pray together quietly. If you have something to write on that note, if you need prayer, you can hand that in. Um, Let's pray. Let's just. Father, I thank you. I love your word, but I love you because you're the Lord of your word. And you are not simply a God who chatters. 
But when you say, let there be light, there is light. And therefore, there will be around the throne of Jesus people from every tribe, tongue, and people group. Jesus bought it. You have promised it. It will happen. So work in our hearts, dear God. Help us to take enough quiet time to think specifically about the circle of people where you have placed us in work and school and family and language, the social sphere, our lacrosse team, our dance program, our high school, the people that we meet going in and out of daycare. Help us see God. And then let us pray, start to pray that they would see Jesus through us and in us, that we would speak Jesus, that we would see the open door, that we would invite them, that we wouldn't, that we wouldn't be the, the kind of church that steps away, that dissects itself out from the world, but rather cause us, dear God, to dive in and be salt and light. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would be with those who are uniquely called who are convinced and courageous and called by you. Send them to the nations and send us to the nations in them. And we do pray, Heavenly Father, in the coronavirus that's going around, that we would think eternally and missionally and not be cowardly. Help us, because we do get afraid. The news just pounds fear. The word pounds hope. So pound hope into our hearts today. We ask this and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The benevolent offering is just to help those who, who need special help financially at this time. So if you want to give to that, that's appreciated as well. So let me pray a blessing over you. Covenant mission partners and friends as we go out. Now God, give grace and give courage and give love and joy and peace through Jesus Christ. And fill us up to the fullness so that we might overflow in our neighborhoods and to the ends of the earth. We ask this in the name above every name, in the name of Jesus. All God's people said? Amen. Amen. Have a great day today in the Lord. God bless you as you go. Thank you for joining us today. To find out more about our church, times, and events coming up, go to www.waterbrook.church.